been having uh, some slack hands on cleanup. Uh, so if it's your night, ladies, everybody's tonight, but ladies, I believe Wednesday night, men, remember you're nice, but uh, a cleanup crew needs your help, amen. So uh, if you can remember that, we all like a clean house, right? Uh, amen. So it takes all of us to get that. We're in for a treat tonight, tomorrow night, Sunday. We've been anticipating this revival, Pastor McLaughlin. McLaughlin, amen, uh, all year. Last year, if you were here, we had an incredible time. I uh, had some uh, God just powerfully moved. So we're in for a treat. Let's give our evangelist a hand tonight as he comes. Amen. Yep, hallelujah. Amen. It's great to be in the house of God. I do apologize because the last time I was here, everything locked down for a year. <laughs> so maybe now that I'm here, everything will unlock. Hallelujah. And so I can be the bookend revival. Amen. But I uh, appreciate, amen, the invitation to come. I'm always thankful to preach the gospel anywhere, especially a church like this where I do have some history going all the way back. Uh, all the way back, James Rosario, amen, who's going to have his own conference now, amen, and uh, going all the way back. So it's been a long time uh, ministering up here, and I do appreciate the invitation, amen. So Matthew chapter 8, the Word of God, we all have come through, amen, the COVID, and we've all had it in various levels and turned out to be a big fat nothing, amen, for most people, amen, locked the whole world down so Trump would lose an election, yeah, pretty much, and, uh, and so, you know, the two good things that did happen, one is I spent nine weeks in Chicago with my grandkids, amen, during lockdown, I said, we need to get out of here before my wife wants to renovate the kitchen, and I said, we're, we're out of here, amen, and I got like three weeks to the gallon in my car, and so I was happy for all that as well, but, but now we're back, amen, we're all back in our buildings, amen, except for California, uh, pray for them, but we're all seem to be back on track, we're going door to door on outreach again, finally we're, we're able to do that, I've been doing some things outside, trying to get some park concerts going for the summer and, and different things happening. And so we're, we're coming out of this. Amen. We're coming out of this. And what we need to really adjust, amen, is, is some of the spiritual climate of the church. Is anybody warm tonight? Is anybody warm? Put your hand up if you're warm. Anybody cold? Anybody cold? How many think it's just right? Yeah, well, see, there's the problem. There's a problem. You take a poll of any group, and everybody's got their own opinion about the climate. Now, the real issue you have, amen, is that you have the hot husband who's trying to sleep with the cold wife, amen, and you have all kinds of issues going on there because the, the blankets are on, the blankets are off, the blankets are on, the blankets are on, rolling around. It's a big, and so the problem is we always end up together, and nobody, it's so hard to get the right climate, amen, into, even in any building, amen, in any group, and it's the same in the spiritual realm. We're going to look at the scripture tonight. I want to talk to you about setting the spiritual climate, amen, and the atmosphere for revival, amen. It feels very good in here tonight, whether it's too hot, too cold, to your skin. Let me tell you, the internal temperature here feels wonderful, amen, and it's great to be in God's presence. Matthew 8, verse 18, and when Jesus saw the great multitude about him, <clears throat> he gave commandment to depart to the other side. 
and a particular scribe or came and said unto him, Master, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere in which to lay his head. And another of the disciples said unto him, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Amen. And so I want to look at three things tonight. I want to talk first about the spiritual climate, how it affects how close we walk with God. Then I want to talk about five things that set the climate in a church and then finish with having a passion for a God climate. And what I want you to take from this service tonight, amen, is the understanding that the spiritual climate of, of the temperature of the congregation is truly set by the passion of the people inside the church. That's what sets it. Amen. We do not feng shui the building. You know, we haven't got incense drops coming through the air conditioner. Amen. But what we've got is people who have passion. Amen. And that establishes the temperature. Amen. So let's talk first here about climate affects your walking distance. How many know in the middle of summer, amen, climate will definitely affect how far you walk on outreach, amen. You're going to parking lots, I'll go to parking lot, amen. You're going to the mall, inside, I'll go to the, you want us to walk up how many hills and how many neighborhoods and how much degrees, amen. And it affects your walking distance, but it also affects the distance and how far you walk or how close you walk in following God. In verse 18, when Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave a commandment to depart to the other side. Following Jesus is a multitude. We love multitudes, amen, but spiritually multitudes aren't very reliable, are they? Amen, multitudes follow at a distance. You know, Jesus is doing all kinds of really interesting things, man. He's raising the dead. That's, he's like, whoa, he's walking on water. He's calming storms. He's opening blind eyes and deaf ears, man. And everybody wants to come to see what he's doing next. It's like, we got to go follow Jesus, man, because you don't know what he's going to do. Man, what show is going to happen? And then he multiplies fish and bread it's like dinner and a show man we got to follow Jesus man wherever he's going we've got to go and they're following him but they're following at a distance people love to follow at a distance why because that way it's easy to walk you're not in the crowd you're not accountable to the person next to you. Amen. You can walk away at any time and nobody will even notice that you've left if the crowd is that big. And so it's basically you can follow for all the things you want and then turn around and leave for all the things you don't like. And that is part of the problem when people, amen, follow Jesus at a distance. Amen. Notice he said he commanded them to go to the other side. Well, not all of them went, did they? Why? Because it involved them having to find their own way to get across, rent a boat, hitch a ride with somebody. And that involved labor, that involved work, that involved sacrifice, financial maybe, it involved some effort. And people don't want to pay that price. They want to be able to just go wherever they want to go, do whatever they want to do. And, and when you're following Jesus at a distance, it's very easy to walk away. Now, if you're looking at a target and you have the rings, Jesus being the center ring, then the multitude would be the outer ring. 
Now it moves in a little closer. Verse 19, and a particular scribe came unto him and said, Master, I will follow you wherever you go. Now here we have somebody, a scribe, a religious person, someone who knows the law, has put in effort to study, has put in effort of discipline. They're following closer than a multitude will follow. This is a higher level of devotion. They're zooming in closer to the center, knows the law, put in the effort, follows closer, but here it's still a limited sacrifice because when he speaks to Jesus, he calls him master. And this means teacher. These are people that operate on a natural level, on the intellectual level, on the principles that you think about. They acknowledge God on an intellectual level. Doesn't the Bible speak about that? Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Being hearers only and not doers of the word. And we live in a generation where so many Christians follow at a multitude. That's why they love the megachurch and so many other Christians. They, they read all the books. They wear the bumper stickers and the t-shirts and they have all the knowledge but still they're distant they're not walking close to God they don't feel comfortable the climate is not right their mental stimulation of the principles amen but they never fully commit amen their idea is Jesus is something but he's not Lord and they'll follow but only to a point and then you run down into a little closer as you zoom in a little closer to the target in verse 21. And another of the disciples said unto him, Lord, allow me first to bury my father, another of his disciples. Now the disciple will follow closer than the scribe who's following closer than the multitude. Amen. And he calls him Lord. Notice the title of reverence, the title of honor. He acknowledges the truth of who Jesus is. Amen. And everything looks good until he opens his mouth and he says these words, allow me first. Allow me first. Me first. Allow, allow me first. It's amazing how many people call him Lord but serve me first. The spiritual climate of the heart Amen, reveals, even though Jesus, I'm following him closer than everybody else, it's still all about me first. Listen, all of these show that in any group that's following Jesus, you're going to have outer rings, you're going to have middle rings, you're going to have inner rings, then you're going to have even inner, inner rings, the top 12. And then within that, you're going to have the big three. Uh, and then in that middle one, you're going to have, have Peter right there in the center. And so it keeps getting closer, keeps getting further. Uh, amen. And people move in and out of these. Amen. Which follower, obviously, are you tonight? Uh, following at a distance, uh, not wanting the sacrifice of the storm, that come from serving God? Are you the scribe, the religious observer that wants to avoid the suffering and paying the greater price or the almost faithful disciple that still puts me first? Amen. And so this gives us a snapshot of a group, uh, uh, the, the different categories of people that are following Jesus at any one time. <laughs> and we got all of that in here tonight. Amen. Because you can tell, man, we've, we've got the folks in the front, man, the hot ones. These are hot uh, in faith, amen. The Kovos are hot. The Nickersons are hot. Uh, they're in faith in the front row. And then we start working a little bit further back, right? And, and so a little, you know, I've discovered in all the churches I go to, no matter how big the building, wherever you put your last row, somebody's going to sit in it. 
Amen. Backslider row. Back, back, way in the back back there, man. It's way back there with the ushers. <laughs> and Mr. Bob. Amen. Hey, bro. <laughs> Amen. Because how close you want to get to the, where the heat is, you sit where you're comfortable. Amen. My wife, she goes, she's having her menopausal hot flashes and stuff. And so she cornered one day the guy who does all the zoning in the, and uh, for our building, the air conditioner guy, and said, what is the coolest part of the building I need to sit in during the summer? He said, well, because of the way the two-ton unit blows. And, and the, you know, he's real. He said, well, just sit over in this section under, in between these two fans that hang from the ceiling, and that's our spot. So don't sit there, amen, <laughs> because my wife will, she'll get really hot with you. I mean, really, really, literally really hot with you, amen, if you sit in her seat, amen, because that's the place, amen, and what we've discovered through all of this really comes down to one statement. You're as close to God as you really want to be. No matter where that place is, if you feel comfortable as a multitude, that's where you'll be. If something inside you is more passionate for more, you'll come in closer, so we have to establish in the church a climate where God's going to want to come. He's going to want to show up. See, there's a right climate for God's presence to be established, and that happens on purpose. It doesn't evolve by itself. The picture we have, we're going to switch text now. I'm going to jump over to the Old Testament. I want to talk to you here some points out of Solomon when he built the temple. Because he established something in the building. Now, the glory of the God was in a building, right? And we know that the glory of God really isn't in a building, right? We need buildings because something has to happen in a location. We need a building as a contact point for our faith, a place we can rally, amen. We need, uh, it's an expression of God's deliverance, amen. It's a place to get out of the rain, you know? And so we need a building where we can all meet together. Solomon built a building and he knew the people needed something physical to represent an invisible God. So he built a temple that took a lot of labor, took a lot of work, took building materials, time, blood, sweat, tears, and that's even before building inspectors. So all of this was involved, amen, and he built this building, but the building itself was just a shell, right? Something had to happen inside to give it that atmosphere. What's it called? It's called that fancy word, ambiance. Aren't we all about ambiance? My wife, every time I, I apologize, I, I apologize, but if you have me to your house, I'm probably going to take a picture of your living room because she wants to see how everybody decorates <laughs> because she knows there's an ambiance she wants and she just hasn't found it yet. <laughs> so in that case, she's going to keep shopping at Kirkland's and she's going to keep shopping at the Home Goods place and going to keep shopping until she finds that ambiance and you walk in our house and it's all eclectic. Every wall has a different ambiance. But it's like that with restaurants, right? Hey, a new restaurant in town? Well, Google it. Look it up, man. She's like, show me the pictures. Do they have cute plates? I don't care if the plate is cute. What's on the plate? I want to see what's on the plate. How much am I spending and how big a portion am I going to get? I don't care, man. If the food's good, I'll eat it on a park bench next to a dumpster on a paper plate. I don't, but for her, she wants the ambiance. Look at those beautiful little forks and the napkins. Oh, and the decor. I don't care about decor. Is the food good? We want an ambiance. Listen, in the church, we have to set up an ambiance here. We have to create an atmosphere in the shell of the building. 
in the spiritual way. The first thing Solomon did, there's five things he did. The first uh, was the location. Now, 2 Chronicles 3.1, it says, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father. Now, in the Old Testament, listen, there wasn't a beautiful park there. It wasn't, uh, you know, Israel now, I've been to Israel, and you look at that, and you, you look at Israel now, man, Jerusalem's beautiful, and there's gardens everywhere, and they got the water, but back then, it's dirt. You know, this dirt's as good as any other dirt. And so he's building, not because of the special dirt, he's building in that particular place for one reason, and that reason, the location mattered, because that's the place where David, his father, had a vision. So the first thing that he's doing in setting up this congregation to show God's glory is he's building it upon the vision of his father. Can I tell you, how obvious is that for us? I mean, any church I walk into anywhere in the world, uh, amen, I'm going to find the exact same things uh, that I find in this church and every church. Amen, I'm going to walk in, there's going to be a pulpit, there's going to be drums, uh, there's going to be flags. Well, in almost every building, there's going to be <laughs> flags. There's going to be a, there's going to be a, a, you know, resolution, conflict resolution form hanging on the wall in various languages. There, there's going to be tr tracks. There's going to be trumpets. Uh, there's going to be sign-up sheets. Uh, and there's going to be uh, everything. I can walk into any church anywhere in the world and feel like I'm at home because they've created a vision. Amen. It's not just, uh, you know, what we have for the logo. Amen. But it's the standards of our ministry ministry, it's the flow, amen, it's the Saturday outreaches, it's the Bible studies, it's the gospel that we preach, the vision that we have, it's uniform in every church I step into, and it's incredible, we are building on the vision of our Father. Amen. Now, Pastor Mitchell passed away. You know, Friday night at conference, if you go back, if you, if you weren't there and you see the live stream, if it's still posted, you look at how many churches they launched on Friday night, man. Filled up that whole platform with churches, man. And Pastor Greg standing there going, everybody wanted to know what's going to happen when Pastor Mitchell dies? This is what's going to happen when Pastor Mitchell dies. We're going to keep doing what we've always done. Because we're building on the vision of our Father. It's the second thing that happens uh, that he built, and that is he set up past dedication. Second Chronicles 5.1, Thus the work of Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the instruments. He put them among the treasures of the house of God. Now David fashioned holy instruments. He couldn't build the temple. God wouldn't let him, said it goes to your son Solomon. But that didn't stop David from coming up with blueprints, from coming up with uh, all kinds of projects and plans. And he started getting things ready and he made some of those instruments. Uh, amen. All the different things that were going to be needed for the temple, he made them, created them, then put them in storage someplace. For when the time came, they dedicated those things. When they were made, they were made according to the Levitical laws. They were done the right way they needed to be done. They were dedicated at that moment, but then they could not be put into use. So they just kind of put them off to the side. And then when Solomon moved in, he said, the very first thing we need to do, man, is not just protect the vision, amen, of our fathers, which we protect, amen. That's why we don't let false doctrine in here. That's why we don't do all those unethical things. We keep that vision but then we also add to that the things that have been dedicated unto God you know every service you come to we have an altar call what do you think you're doing at the altar you're making a dedication and you know what we do as a fellowship you're welcome 
We hold you to those dedications. Amen. We challenge you to live up to what you dedicated at the altar, to what you said you were going to do last Wednesday, to what you said you were going to do last Sunday night or the, or the Sunday morning before that. You made a vow at an altar. You made a pledge at a conference. You said something, God, you came down. Big crocodile tears. Amen. That still leaves stains on the carpet. And you're saying, I will do this. And we'll say, okay. When? When will you do this? Wait, huh? Yeah, yeah, you said you'd do this. I'm still waiting for you to do this. We're holding. We didn't forget what you dedicated to God and then told us in your bragamony testimony. Amen. And we're going to hold you to that. Because we build on past dedications. Third thing they did was they established a unity. Oh. Everybody worked together, amen, in First and Second Chronicles 5 and verse 12 and said they had 120 priests sounding with the trumpets and it came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one. They made one sound to be heard in the praising and thanking of the Lord that the, Lord, that the house was filled with a cloud so the priests could not stand and minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house. God falls when we are all of one heart, of one purpose, and in one worship. Can I tell you, we protect the unity of our church. That's why we preach on slander. That's why we challenge people when they gossip. That's why we come against spirits of division and we don't allow false doctrine in the church and we judge certain issues within the congregation, sometimes even putting people out of church because we're trying to keep. Don't you come in this house with that attitude. Don't you come in this house with that T-shirt. Don't you come in that house, amen, with that false doctrine, amen. It might as well just be pot. Don't you bring pot into my, they still, people still bring, or marijuana, what do they call it now? CBD? I don't know what they're calling it anymore, but don't bring that stuff in this house because we're holding an atmosphere here we're creating a climate here we're all unified mostly mostly unified except for these folks you know why those folks are sitting over there because <laughs> they're mad at somebody sitting over there <laughs> why are you guys sitting over there you're mad at somebody sitting over there it's probably candace why are those guys sit in the back <laughs> they hate everybody. That's why they're back there. Right? I know you're stuck to wherever you have been signed and assigned, but you know what? Some churches are fractioned like that, man, where half the congregation is for and half the congregation is against. And man, thank God for the unity that we fight and struggle and deal with and work out conflicts and have resolutions. And we don't leave churches when somebody sits in our seat or parks in our spot or says that dress really accents your hips. Amen. Or that tie doesn't match your shirt or your kid did this, man. But yet we all still resolve all of that why because we're all big one big happy dysfunctional family with a crazy uncle yeah. see there's a fourth thing here and that's making significant personal sacrifice chapter 7 verse 5 second chronicles and solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 ox 22,000 ox and 120,000 sheep and the king and all the people dedicated to the house of God. You know, they do all kinds of different drives to raise money, right? We did when I was going to one church, man. It was, oh, yeah, well, just grab all your pennies. You know, whatever pennies you have, bring them in for, for missions. Pennies for missions. It's like... I'm like, come on, man. People want to set up all kinds of things in the foyer, don't they? they want to, you go to modern churches, man, they're selling stuff. They've got, this is where we sell earrings for the Lord. This is where we sell incense and essential oils for the Lord. This is where we 
sell this uh, Tupperware for the Lord for Jesus. You know, no wonder Jesus came in and started flipping tables. He's like, there is no Amway in this building, man. Make not my Lord's house. Uh, it's a house of prayer, not a den of thieves where you're ripping people off and making money. There's none. Nothing shall ever be allowed to be sold in the congregation except Girl Scout cookies. Amen. That's the only thing. We'll make an exception. <laughs> It's the only thing, make an exception, amen, because it's kind of like witchcraft. You just cannot turn away a box of, amen, any box, doesn't matter box, Moe's or the Caramel Delights or the Thin Mints, or, hey, Thin Mints, that's a real joke, isn't it, man? Eat a whole box and feel like you're thin, amen. <laughs> Jeez. Listen, revival comes when you sacrifice, not only financial. Let me tell you, your personal resources involve things like your time, isn't it incredible how much time we spend at church for this practice, for that band thing, for this outreach, for that thing, for this cleaning party, for this, you know, I mean, we spend so much time, services, practices, Saturdays, outreaches, revivals. You want us to come to church every night for how long? I mean, a three-day prayer and fast? Are you kidding? I mean, we, it's, it's a sacrifice. That's a personal sacrifice that you can make. There's a fifth thing here, and that's making it a place of prayer. Second Chronicles 6.13, Solomon made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long, five cubits broad, three cubits high. He had set in the midst of the court, uh, and he stood upon it. He kneeled upon his knees before all the congregation, uh, spread forth his hands to heaven, uh, and he prayed. He established a climate uh, built on these four other things. He made it a spiritual place, a place of prayer. Uh, amen. And he created a climate for God to move and God honored it amen the power of the Holy Ghost came down when he made an end of praying in chapter 7 verse 1 amen that the fire fell from heaven consumed the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house amen and they could not enter in because of the glory the power of God came down in a visitation they could not stand it was so thick that is a pattern that we can absolutely recreate in this building it has nothing to do with, oh, Cracker Barrel. We got all of our decor from the same Chinese factory. Doesn't matter what Cracker Barrel you walk into, man. They all got the same stuff. Well, listen, we can put some stuff in here. It's not the decor we order online, but it's the temperature and the passion that comes within our own human heart. See, that's the passion for a God climate because it's all summed up later in that same text, 2 Chronicles 7, 12. It says this, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place to be my house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heaven and be no rain, if I command locusts to devour the land, if I send pestilence among my people, my people which are called by my name, listen to this, if they humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from my wicked, their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes and my ears will be with you perpetually. My eyes and my heart shall be there. He's talking about when people come, having put all of these five things into place in their spiritual hearts, and add to that the passion of humility, the passion that will pray, the passion that will seek his face, and the passion to actually repent and turn from wicked ways. When that is established, that passion of a climate for a higher faith. This is not a multitudinal faith at a distance. This is 
not a scribal faith. We're coming a little more correct. This is not the me first disciple can a spiritual climate, but this is a climate of a people who are filled with a passion for all that God has laying down their entire lives. Amen. For a climate. Amen. That God comes down and says, I will come to this church and I will put my heart here. I will put my eyes upon it. Your prayers will be heard. Your supplications will be received. And it's in this place that I will heal the land. Isn't that the God thing that we want? It's the God thing. This is where God comes down. This is where God comes down. The advantage to you in the establishing of a passionate climate in the congregation is that God responds with his visitation. He said, I will come down and I will visit any place, any place on earth that has been sanctified with a passionate cry. Yeah, I was amazed when we were in Israel on the tour at all the religiousness that's happening in that nation. You know, going to the Holy Land. Yeah, and so when I went, my, I've only taken the one trip, and, you know, I ended up with my schedule. I had to fly in a day early because of where I was coming from. And, and so I got there and got a hotel overnight, just kind of wandered around uh, Tel Aviv a little bit and see what's happening, and then went back to the airport the next day. I'm waiting for, you know, it's a big airport. This is back way before COVID. Uh, and so people are everywhere. They're flying from all over the world. There's so many people in that airport. And I'm like, how in the world am I ever going to find our group? You know, I'm like, I don't want to be the one guy who didn't make the connection. I'm like, man. And so I'm parked there by the exits and I'm scanning every face. And, you know, I didn't have to worry about not being able to see them. Because let me tell you, long before they came into view, I could sure hear them all. There's something about our group. Can I, can I, just, can I just throw our whole fellowship under the bus for a moment here? Listen, of all the religious groups on the planet, there is none like us. <laughs> and the one thing we excel beyond measure is incredible mockery. If you've ever spent any time with Pastor Mitchell, it all flows from him. It all comes right down from up top, man. We just mock it and mock it. And before I could ever see any of our group, I could hear them laughing and mocking all the way on the other side of the glass in customs. It's like, I know that laugh. I've heard that laugh. And of course, you know, Paul Stevens, the man who swallowed a, a bass woofer, I could feel his voice coming, you know, I am your father. I could feel it coming right through, man, <laughs> through the glass. And finally, you know, the glass opens and they come out and they come out, you know, like in slow motion. It's, uh, it's like, wow, look, man, it's Tom Brady and, and Michael Jordan and, and Mike Wazowski. You know, they're just moving in slow motion as they're coming around. Oh, and I'm looking, oh, and here's Rich Cox. He's, uh, you know, he's carrying Pastor Mitchell, you know. And, and I'm looking, at him, wow, and there's Paul Stevens, you know, and there's Joe Rice. I'm looking at all these, uh, Terry Haynes. And I'm looking at all these leaders in the fellowship, and they're all, and they're all laughing and slapping their backs, and they're focus they're centered around one complete total psycho scott lamb <laughs> behold the ham of god i mean the lamb of god he has literally turned the entire atmosphere of that airport completely upside down just being himself i'm like oh yeah that's our group who are those people i don't know <laughs> I'm not with them. <laughs> and listen, if you've ever been to Israel, every, every religious group you'd ever want to mock is there. 
You can't help yourself. I'm looking, I'm standing there next to Brian McRae, and we're looking, and, he, and we're watching these guys, these Jesuit priests go by, and, and they're wearing potato sacks and sandals, and they all have the, have the hair, the bald, and the... He goes, where's Robin Hood? <laughs> it's like, hey, it's Friar Tuck, man. It's all these Friar Tuck. I'm like... Wow, <laughs> look, look, man, it's Sister Mary Elephant. I guess that class. Wow, is that Father Guido Sarducci? It's like everybody is here, man, the whole crowd. We get on the bus, man, and the poor, the poor lady, the tour guide, this is her first time with our group. She has no idea what she's in for. And she's laying on this thick religious thing that works for everybody else. You should be honored. You are here in the Holy Land. She taught us a couple, you know, Jewish words in Hebrew. And, and you're here. And people have pilgrim all of history. They've wanted to come to the Holy Land. And, and they'd travel six months by boat. And they'd walk the desert sands with raiders. And they'd come by camel. And here you are in the Holy Land. There's a voice from the back. Hey, what's the Wi-Fi? i got to check the score of the game, man. You got the... It's like... like Listen, man, because listen, in our group, we don't go to Israel to have a deep, intense, significant spiritual sacrifice moment with God. Because we get those all the time. It's not, we feel them a lot. I felt God. I didn't have to go to Israel to feel God. I felt him at the altar. I felt him in my prayer closet. I felt God fill my car to red light. Aisle 7 at Walmart. <laughs> I felt God, man. If, listen, if your heart is humble and tender, God can speak to you through the graffiti on an overpass. So we get to Israel, man. And I'm just mocking all these religious people. <laughs> Anywhere you go, the River Jordan kind of runs through the entire place. And so it doesn't matter where you pass the River Jordan, somebody's getting baptized. So we stop at this gift store. Everybody's inside. I'm hanging out outside. I hate crowds. I don't really like people. <laughs> That's why I'm an evangelist. <laughs> and so here, you know, I'm watching all these folks, man. And for $7, you can get a white robe, you know, and you can uh, take a picture, amen, where they superimpose this dove coming down on your head, uh, you know, and you get to keep the robe, man. And you go out into the water and somebody there will baptize you. And you get a little certificate and maybe a little bottle. And that water is nasty. Anybody seen the River Jordan? As you probably see River Jordan, it's like sewer water. It's, a, it's got a smell and it's brown and there's things floating. It's like, what is that? Is baby Ruth? What is that floating down there, man? It's like, <laughs> Sorry. And, I'm, and here's this group of like German tourists. And they're all in there getting baptized. I mean, it's hilarious. They all have these big mullets, you know, like a bad 80s rock video. And, <clears throat> and they're all, you know, big glasses. And they're all in there getting baptized. And they're speaking. It's like, we have ways of baptizing you, you know. It's Augustus that's going to be baptized. And I'm looking at this guy. And he's in the water. And he's having this deep, incredible emotional experience. And, and they're ready to baptize. They've turned him sideways. And they're talking in German. And finally, it's time to come. It's like, are you in the, I don't know what there's. Eine, Kleine, Fleine. And, they, and they're putting him down in the water and as he's going under man he grabs his cigarette and holds it up like, yes yes I'm like that's what people go for so you can imagine my great surprise 
when God actually visited me in Israel. I had a Holy Ghost, and I know what a Holy Ghost move of God feels like. I had God significantly touch my life in the Holy Land. And it was not, it it wasn't at Golgotha where Jesus died. It wasn't in the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweat great drops of blood. It wasn't in the Garden Tomb where he resurrected. The place Jesus touched me, of all places, was the Wailing Wall. So the lady tells us the night before, tomorrow we're going over to the Wailing Wall and the Temple Mount, and and so you have to take a piece of paper, write down whatever your deepest, most personal prayer is, the thing that you are most desperate for. Write it on a piece of paper, then tomorrow you roll it up and stick it into the mortar in the cracks. I'm like, well, and when in Rome, right? So I wrote down, you know, a thing that was very important to me. My brother has Parkinson's, and I've been praying for him to get healed or get saved and then get healed, and that, that's important to me, and I'm passionate about that, and I pray for him, and I wrote it down, and, I, and so here we get there the next day, and so I've got my phone, right? I, I like to video stuff, and, and so, you know, send it to my my parents, my dad's totally, completely technologically inept, amen, more than me, amen, and he's, so I, all I do is I put a video together and I upload it and send him a YouTube link, all he has to do is click one thing and he can see how I spent my summer vacation, right, so here I am in Israel, and this thing I do is I hold my phone kind of my, near my chest, I put on like a time lapse, and it's just a funny thing I do where I walk up and I, and I, and I take a picture of my hand touching, you know, St. Basil's Basilica at the Kremlin, or, or touching uh, uh, this old ancient in Armenia, I saw this from 70, 700 BC, there's this old Roman temple, and I was able to take a picture of it. I was at the Great Wall of China. Here I come, and I touched the Great Wall of China. And then down in the parking lot where the buses parked, the, the retaining wall, the, the not-so-great Wall of China. I took a picture of that too, man. And so I'm going to walk up to the Wailing Wall, and I've got my phone mounted, and I'm trying to work through all the people. It's every kind of cra- Here go all the friar tucks again. i got to wait for them. To, you know, it's like, I'm playing Frogger, man, is what I'm doing, trying to get down to the front. And then there's like these Orthodox people with the big tent hats, and, and the qu- these little boys are swinging the smoking balls and they've got hooked I'm like whoa this is out of a movie man then I had to go past the curly fried Jews and I'm working down to the front and finally get up to the wall and I I take this picture and I'm filming and I put my hand on the wall as soon as I touch the wall man it's like God came down and I know when God comes down and I'm feeling this connection what is happening here my mind was so not ready for that. I'm thinking, how's the lighting? Do I have the right angle? Is my thumb on the lens? You know, I'm, and I touch it, and it's like, whew. Next thing I know, man, I'm rolling this thing into the, I'm pulling somebody else's out, and I'm pushing mine in there. And, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting teary because God's touching me. I'm praying, and everybody's like, hey, where's McLaughlin? We're leaving in five minutes. I'm still at the wall. <laughs> I say, you know, oh, God, move, man. Move. You know, it's incredible because that wall has no actual significance. It's not the side of the temple. The temple where it should be is like 100 yards up the hill. You know, but the Muslims run that. Islam's conquered that. And they're not letting the Jews up there anywhere near where their temple was. It, like somebody looked at there, they conquered it and said, well, the Jews need a place to pray. Where do we put them? Uh, how about over there at the wall? 
And it's just, a, now granted, it's an ancient wall, it's pretty old, but it's just a retaining wall. What it is, where it is, is of no significance, except what it's become makes all the difference. What it really is, is an altar. It's an altar where people who have a desperate, passionate prayer like me have come before whatever they know or don't know of a God. And with true sincerity and passion, they cried out for something that was important to them. Listen, for thousands of years, millions of people have been coming to that wall with a passion to be touched by God. And that's what I felt when I touched that. Listen, how would you like folks to walk into this building and as soon as they touch the front door, they feel, whoa, what is going on in this? Remember the first time you ever walked into Pentecostal church? You couldn't explain what you saw. You had no idea what you were looking at, but man, you sure knew you were feeling something. That's the presence of a living God. Wouldn't you like folks to be able to come in as soon as they walk into this church? Something of the passion, of the desperation, of the prayers of the people and the commitment and the sacrifice and the dedications we've made and the vision we fight for, that all of those things come together in a moment where God's spirit comes down in such a way that even a mocker like me can walk into this building and be convicted just being in this presence because of a climate and an atmosphere that you have established. And this is something you can do. It's not, it, yes, it's biblical, but it's not of biblical proportion. This is something each and every one of us can establish by being that disciple that's not multitudinal, that's not scribal, that is not the me too disciple, the me first disciple. But it comes from a people who say, God, we want you to inhabit the praises and come down upon these needs that matter to us and give this world revival. Amen. Amen. That is something we can do. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Let's bow our heads then tonight.